thought of this the other day, 30 years after the fact. When I was 10, I asked my father what an Oedipal complex was. He lit another cigarette and never took his eyes off the Green Acres rerun he was watching, framed by the V his feet made at the end of the recliner. Ask your mother. I'm struggling now with the possibility that the man was a comic genius. Of course, I couldn't have appreciated it at the time. Had he tossed that supremely dry response to gauge his only son's intellect? Was he sending up a balloon to test the conditions of my humor? And did I fail? Hell, maybe all he meant was I should ask my mother. It was, after all, the response I got when I asked for details about the day I was born for a class project. But what if he was, in fact, a frustrated, comedic mastermind, ruined by years of drink and sales jobs, his innate talent squandered on people who didn't get him, co-workers, customers, his son, a post-68 special Elvis, deathly aware there was nowhere to go but down, so why try? There are arguments for and against the hypothesis. The man got me hooked on Mad Magazine and let me watch MASH reruns eight times a week. He would let me stay up until 2 a.m. to watch Duck Soup, and owned Bob Newhart's stand-up routines on vinyl. Clearly, he had a working knowledge of funny. Then again, he was fond of Don Knotts' era Three's Company, which even I had outgrown before I was 12, so who knows. His was, however, a dark humor befitting the man I generally knew sober by day, passed out each night. There was also, perhaps, a cruel streak in there. One Christmas morning in my early twenties, we waited for my sister to arrive from her boyfriend's place. The ritual was to open our presents in the morning. She and I realized a few years before that the traditional post-midnight Gilby's London Dry gin-soaked spectacular took some of the fun out of it for us. And so I waited with my dad and his girlfriend. Mom had moved on in every sense some years before. We sat in the living room, presents stacked beneath the plastic tree, Bing on the already ancient eight-track, and we waited. And waited. By 11 a.m. we were restless. Dad was a king of passive-aggressive behavior, and had he developed that kind of talent in any other field, he'd be remembered today as a guru, a great statesman, a Schweitzer. He turned to me and asked if we still had last year's Christmas paper in the basement. I think I saw lightning flash. I ran downstairs. It had been our custom the past couple of Christmases to not throw out used wrapping paper. No one recycled then, at least no one I had heard of. But why the hell were we keeping this stuff? Apparently, 
for this. We hid the presents in my room down the hall and strew last year's detritus throughout the living room. It was convincing. To the casual observer it seemed we had just had a heck of a time opening gifts. In fact, there was a lot of paper and plenty of choux, that's French for the bows taped to each gift. Living in Quebec, our vocabulary was mottled with French replacements for things I'm pretty sure had an English equivalent. But no actual prezies. No matter. Dad was a blitzkrieger of comedy. He knew this bit lived and died in the first impression. My sister came in close to noon, her boyfriend Phil right behind. She was right to look sheepish as she stood at the vestibule and leaned a hand on the wall to take off her boots, but she had no idea what carnage she was about to face. We all wished her a cheerful Merry Christmas, and she started to do the same when she took a step in and saw. The ability to deadpan is a family trait like knowing when a beer's gone skunky before opening the bottle, or sizing up a loved one's psychological weak point and storing it for future use. I spoke first. We did say 10 a.m., didn't we? My sister's eyes filled with tears. We waited as long as we could, added my father. In any other household it might have been uncomfortable. For my father and me it was as familiar and soothing as a warm bath. She seemed unsure we were kidding, but no one spoke until she did. We had to... Shuffle the car out of the snow. My father and I looked at each other with great compassion. We exchanged a nod. Phil had wisely kept quiet for this, as was his way. Dad's girlfriend might have offered a line or two in support of our little show, but it really was about the three of us, about bloodlines and the cruel comedy we could turn on each other in alternating alliances. It was a genuine anticlimax when we let her off the hook. I don't know who broke first, but the point had been made, and there were presents to open. My sister forgave us easily enough. She was a good sport, and might have seen being the butt of this joke as a sign of affection, and it was. She also knew enough about comedy to understand every bit needs a straight man, and if she was in the mood she would play the part, in this case as Margaret Dumont to our Groucho and Chico. I eulogized my dad ten years later and told the gathering that my sister and I got our love of music from him and our sense of humor. I knew the latter was true and during the Mass the priest poured the wine representing Christ's blood into a gold chalice. I leaned over to my sister and his girlfriend and whispered, The white wine's a nice touch. A remarkably cheap wine called CCC had been his choice of drink in the end, a milder kick than his usual gin on the rocks. As the blood of anyone, this now seemed a bit pale, but it was fitting. And for me, getting a smile at a funeral was a minor triumph. But that might have been a bit dark, even for him. Pretty Much, Episode 3, Tales from the Banlieue, written and read by Scott Clarkson. This first appeared in the magazine The Comedians, 
October 2008. Music by Garner Firebird. Thank you.